0: Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And flying solo here after SEC Media Days, Cousin Shane. No, he didn't quit or anything. He worked so hard, I had to give him the week off spending that much time away from uh, his family and his real job. So giving him a break. But he's going to be featured heavily on all these shows because uh, we are back with about 40 interviews to get through. So he may not be recording with me now, but he's again, he, he'll be on this episode. He's going to be on all of them throughout the week. I just thought this week, so much going on with SEC Media Days. We're going to have to do a little – Slow down and recap what we missed, because there was so much going on. What a wild time it was down there. Uh, I I don't know if anybody delivered as many interviews as we did, short of maybe Paul Feinbaum, who's got 50 employees up there working uh, the set and everything like that. So shout out everybody that came on the show, all the support we got all throughout the week. Our live shows were kind of rough. They got better as the week went on. I mean... (laughs) I think we kind of had it down by the end of the week. Not like we would have wanted it to be at the beginning of the week. But a lot of support out there. really do appreciate it. And shout out everybody that came out Saturday. I don't know if we said that quite enough to our Bearded Iris live event. We're going to try to do more of those at some point. We'd love to go around the SEC and really do those uh, tailgates and probably the Fridays before big games things of that nature. So be on the lookout. We'll we'll definitely talk all about that, but I think we'll shave, we'll we'll save a lot of the stories of SEC Media Days for when Shane's back on the show, which it, again, it's not going to be that long. It'll probably be next week. But for anybody that missed it, we did have the high, I mean, there were so many highlights for Media Days. Talking to Sam Pittman, talking to KJ, talking to Spencer Rattler and all the guests we had, but truly the, the moment that I think meant the most to Cousin Shane and I was on Thursday. If you missed it, go check out the full interview with Paul Feinbaum. But I'm going to play a, a clip on it. We got Cousin Shane to be on camera. He's scared to death. He he won no part of joining the, the set and speaking with Paul on national television, but we got Cousin Shane in the shot anyway. Let's kick it over to this uh this little clip here. Paul Feinbaum kind of roasting cousin Shane Michael Bratton go to town Michael, it's great to see you uh, really uh, been an entertaining week here talking to you and and I got to meet the previous unknown cousin Shane this week. <laughs> Cousin Shane is exactly what I thought he was. <laughs> I'd love to get him on here, Paul, but he's terrified. He he yeah, uh, step foot on here. Cousin, could you just walk behind the, uh, us for a second? <laughs> I want you, Right there. I want everyone you – no, know, come on. I want everyone to – because if you, if you know Michael Bratton's That SEC Podcast, you know Cousin Shane. Yep. So, Cousin, just uh, see if you can uh, get into our shot there, and you can stop <laughs> about right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is that—that uh, that is like the star of your podcast. He's the star. I just show up and put it together, Paul. Without cousin Shane, there is no show. So, I, I appreciate that. Meant I mean, a lot even to him. though I was with the guy the other night, I, I still don't know who he is. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what is he? He's the talent. He's the comedy. He's the icebreaker. He's very funny. He's the funniest guy I know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I caught him on a bad night. <laughs> So how great was that? I mean that. Hopefully we can make this into a meme there, cousin Shane waving at the camera. I, I thought that meant the world to to us. So uh, for me personally, that was the highlight of the event. So many highlights, but uh, and we're gonna get to a couple of these, couple of these interviews. I was blown away. Probably the, someone's asked me biggest takeaway from Media Days was really the presence of Texas and Oklahoma, which those some of those guys were there a year ago in Atlanta, but. With Texas and Oklahoma official in a year, they'll be in the league. Their presence was strong at Media Days. I was very impressed. All the Texas-Oklahoma content we put out, it's getting devoured. So we're going to dedicate this show, a lot of it, to Texas and Oklahoma. The interviews we got with uh, the, the people covering Texas, covering Oklahoma that we got at Media Days. But before we get to that, we got to recap this media poll. I, mean, we're not, I don't get too up in arms about it. I, you know, a lot of people were mad. Vanderbilt got so many votes. Uh, let's start with the East then. Georgia, runaway winner to win the East as expected. 265 votes the Bulldogs got to win the East. No surprise. Tennessee, second in the East in the media poll. They only got 14 votes to win the SEC So that gives you an idea. 265-14, to 14, wide gap there. South Carolina, voted third. They got three votes. Three people think the Gamecocks going to win the East. Kentucky finished fourth in the voting. They got one vote to win the East. Florida, next, they finished fifth in the voting. Missouri finished sixth in the voting. Florida and Missouri did not receive a single vote to win the East. No surprise there. But here is the surprise. Vanderbilt, so they finished seventh in the voting, yet they got eight votes to win the East more than South Carolina, Kentucky, Florida, or Missouri combined. So what's going on here? There's one of two things. Trolling, which I don't think it's trolling because these are anonymous ballots. I mean, sure, we can come out here. And no, Cousin Shane and I did not vote Vanderbilt to win the East. We both picked Georgia, of course. We've been public about that. But I think what happened here old people not knowing how to use technology I mean that's that's what this is uh for, for those that don't know but a little behind the scenes and, and why would you but it's all the voting's done electronically you could do it on your phone you could do it via your computer and I honestly I just think that eight old-timers meant to put Vanderbilt eighth and they put them first I don't know how they did that but that's more conceivable to me than eight people actually thinking Vanderbilt was going to win the SEC East this year. No major surprises here. South Carolina third. I'm not surprised by that. That's not where I have them, but they were on a heater last year. They bring back Spencer Rattler. Shane Beamer's one of the best coaches in the SEC in his short period. I really do think, I mean, both years he's been there. They've exceeded the over under win total and not by like one game, but by multiple games. So, I get the hype with South Carolina. Uh, Florida, I was a little surprised that they finished fifth. I thought they'd be sixth. Uh, Kentucky, again, I got Kentucky third, so fourth, not a major surprise. No real surprises there out of the east aside from that. Carolina third, but understandable. Florida fifth. Missouri not enough. I just don't, don't think people pay attention to Missouri. So they're, they're always going to finish sixth or seventh in this poll, in my opinion. Now, for the West, this was a surprise to me. But given that eight people voted for Vanderbilt to win the East, again, I don't waste any time over what this SEC media poll does because clearly some people don't even know what team they're voting for. Alabama. Voted to win the West, 165 first place votes. LSU voted second. That's the team I got. They got 117 votes to win the West. So a little bit of a disparity there between Alabama's 165 and LSU's 117, but not nearly as much as Tennessee and Alabama. Excuse me, Tennessee and Georgia in the in the East there. A&M got one vote to win the West. They finished third. Ole Miss fourth. Arkansas fifth, with three votes to win the West. Again, this is weird. Auburn, they finished sixth in the voting, but four votes to win the West. That, that doesn't make any sense. And Mississippi State voted last with one vote to win the West. Surprises out of the West. Again, Alabama, that's a surprise to me. Uh, but the rest, no, I got State seven, Auburn six, Arkansas fifth, Ole Miss fourth. That's exactly how I'm voting it. I just flip flop Alabama put them at third, A&M at two. So, I mean, I'm, my ballot, aside from Alabama being third, is is very close to what the actual media poll is. And then the SEC champion, of course, was voted to be Georgia. That's how most people had it. 181 people voted for Georgia to win the SEC. 62 people voted Alabama. 31 voted LSU. That's who I voted for. Tennessee and Vanderbilt each got five. Again, I have no idea who these people are voting Vanderbilt to not to win the East, to win the entire SEC, five of them. Arkansas and Auburn got two votes. A&M, Mississippi State, and South Carolina all got one vote to win the conference this fall. No idea what in the hell these people are thinking. <laughs> I mean, call, it, it, call it, it like I see it. But, hey, like I said, let's recap some of these interviews here. Really great stuff. We're going to start with Anwar Richardson over at Orange Bloods. He always delivers, gives us a, you know a preview of what to expect. Texas coming into the SEC, what he's learning about SEC culture, and don't forget, I know Alabama fans are well aware. Week two, Texas comes into Alabama. It's going to be a huge measuring stick game for the Longhorns, where they reside potentially in the SEC. A little preview of what we can anticipate eight times next season when Texas playing in the SEC cannot wait for that week two matchup in Tuscaloosa. Let's kick it over to this interview with Anwar Richardson. Speaking of doing it again, this time last year, Anwar, you were on the show for the first time covering Texas, of course, for Orange Bloods here at SEC Media Day. Mm. You keep coming to this event. Texas is not even in the league yet. <laughs> <laughs> How fired up, though? Because it seems like every Texas, every Oklahoma yeah. thing we post, Man, the fans are excited about the SEC. Absolutely. Uh, what's it like over at Orange Bloods, the, the anticipation? Oh,
1: it's, it's, it's high, you know. I mean, like, t- to your point, I was here last year. I was at the SEC spring meetings. I'm at this one, you know. I was telling you guys before we started on the show, uh, I spent about one day at Big 12 Media Days last week, <laughs> and I've been out here since Sunday. So I think that tells you all you need to know. Um, you know, there's a, there's an anticipation level, you know, from the fan base, and you know, everyone understands like they still got one more year yeah. in the Big Twelve and and all that entails. But it's hard not to look forward, and so you know, the coaches, their responsibility is to focus in on this season. But as reporters, as people who are fans, yeah, we don't have to do any any of that stuff. We can yeah. look, we can we can look at the Big Twelve. We can go to the SEC, like all those kind of things. So you know, for me, it's kind of was important. Uh, to make sure, you know, they gave everyone kind of a behind-the-scenes look right. about things that are being said and, and talked about as relates to Texas as, you know, next year this thing will happen. You guys will be in Dallas, so you'll yeah. be in my neck of the woods <laughs> next year for SEC Media Days. And so uh, it's been a good experience, a fun experience. Even – um a uh, UT's SID. The couple of the people from their department were out here, yeah. kind of scouting it out and seeing what to expect, to kind of get in the lay of the land. Right. So uh, that's kind of been what's happening, you know, the kind of this entire offseason as anticipation builds.
0: I don't think I'll ever get used to someone saying UT and it not being Tennessee. Oh <laughs> my gosh, it's gonna be
1: hard. Yeah, it's gonna be hard <laughs> because you, you know you just heard, you know, Coach Heupel was you know asked about that. He yeah. said there's only one there's UT. There's only one UT. Well, yeah. he's going <laughs> to learn <laughs> when he turns on the SEC network. And then they say, hey, "Up next, UT coach Sark and what they're doing down there in Austin." You're like, what in the hell just happened? Yeah, yeah. So
0: obviously, we want to talk a lot of Texas with you, but yeah. I, I'm curious, what have you learned about SEC mm-hmm. while you're here? Maybe it could be coach, could be player, could be anything in general. What what's maybe the main takeaway you're you're picking up from all this SEC knowledge you're soaking in?
1: Was well, a couple of different things. I think you know when you know it's funny from the outside when you hear people talk about SEC. It just means more. It sounds cliche, right? And right. then when you get here, you realize oh, it does mean more, right? It's it's kind of like I've I've viewed it. I've, I think I've said this before. It's kind of like coming to the SEC these these meetings. It's almost like going into like the VIP of a club. Yeah. And, so, and all of a sudden you've been on the outside for four. And it's been kind of cool. You're just sitting at the bar. And then you come into the VIP lounge like, wow, we get bottle service here. You know, yeah. this person comes out with sparklers. And it's like <laughs> yeah. – you just like – it's a different difference. It's, it's so much more uh, professional, you know, everything that's done. You're like even down to the little things. Like I'll give you a good example. So I was at Big 12 Media Days uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then they had, you know, like kind of the breakout sessions. So they would have a coach was sitting here and then have a player right next to him, And so they would have like a, a coach with a speaker – that was going, and a player who was supposed to be sitting right next to them sp- going at the same time. So you couldn't hear. Right. You know, it, was just, it was like chaos that was going on at, at one time. And um, you know, and here you can just see, okay, coaches on the stage and like how professionally it's done, and you know, the players in different spots, and like the breakout there, you can see that how they treat the media. You know, I think yesterday something happened I've never seen done. I saw four, co- four coaches go to the stage and thank the media for covering them. Yeah, uh, what does that happen? Like, well, you, you never—I don't live in a world where people thank the media for doing anything. And let yet you saw an appreciation. You saw kind of a working relationship uh, between the SEC and how the the media is. Uh, I, you know, learn that there's a high level of respect for the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't think anyone looks at them and says, "Oh my gosh, this is the savior of the league." But I think they feel that there's a respect level that you know Texas is going to bring some brand recognition, some yeah. name brand stuff, and, and hopefully a good quality. of football, you know, that's to come. Uh, But people respect Coach Sarkeesian. You know, Lane Kiffin talked about him and their their relationship that they have. Clearly Nick Saban has, uh, you know, a long relationship with him as well. So there's a respect level there. So I feel like overall what I've learned from the SEC is that I feel like they're welcoming, you know, of Texas. You know, I feel like they're welcoming the media members. They're welcoming of of having, uh, you know, kind of, I guess I say, Moving into this new direction, you know, of this kind of big bad super conference that's going to happen, and it's going to be basically the SEC, and it's just going to be everybody else.
2: You know? Yeah. Well, let me ask you. We're talking about most anticipated games coming up this season. Mm-hmm. One of the ones at the top of the list has got to be Texas and Alabama. Yeah. yeah. yeah we got yeah. a real. We got a hell of a game last year, and mm-hmm. honestly, you felt like you guys missed an opportunity yeah. there. What's what? What's kind of the the fan interact cuz we again we we we're new to longhorn nation here mm-hmm. so what what is kind of the anticipation on their side coming into this game I think there's anticipation that, that from Texas
1: fans that it's it's kind of first I'll start with let's say it like this it's unfinished business. Yeah. It's kind of like the the at that Alabama Texas game is almost like Rocky won, right? <laughs> Where all of a sudden you know it's like Creed, Apollo Creed he won but Rocky and the, and the fans felt like man you know Rocky could have won that fight and then you have to have the rematch and that's what I feel like there too is like Rocky 2 is like it's the rematch and it's like Apollo Creed he can't feel like a man I can't feel really good. The Bama can't feel really good because they got to say to themselves, well, Quinn Ewers got hurt, Hudson Carr, the backup, he got hurt, right? And so all of a sudden they can tell you, so they got the victory, but Texas fans were saying, man, but you know what? We feel like we could have really won that thing. And so, yeah. you know, I think going in there, uh, you know, as Sarkeesian has kind of been building this program, you know, one of the things – and I think I've said this on the show, but it's, it's worth re- repeating. That one of the things that Sark has really learned, he learned it from that Arkansas game a couple of years ago when they got their butts kicked. Yeah. He understood that they weren't ready to compete in the SEC. Like They just didn't have a team that would be able to keep, compete week in and week out. And the biggest thing that they noticed was that in the trenches, they didn't have the guys. Yeah. They didn't have the guys on the offensive line. They didn't have the guys on the defensive line. And remember that Arkansas game, that defensive line was just – They were rushing three and getting to the quarterback at will. And so they were able to kind of strengthen the offensive line. They had a a great, probably would have viewed as one of the great offensive line recruiting classes in school history just a couple years ago. You know, they'll go into Tuscaloosa with a, a left tackle by the name of Kelvin Banks. Just write this down, K E L. V.I.N. Banks. He started as a freshman last season in every single game. He locked down everybody. He's viewed as a guy that by next year will be a first-round draft pick at left tackle. They've got a lot of good veteran uh, offensive linemen, so they feel really good about what they have up front. They feel really good about what they're going to have on the defensive side of the ball. But the real thing, for them is going to be at the skill positions. They're going to be really good. Yeah. Okay. So because they've got Quinn Ewers, so they've got him coming back for another year. And all the belief is that he's going to be a better quarterback than he was last year. And you look and Texas, enters this game probably with a better quarterback room than Alabama does, because Alabama's a little bit unsettled yeah. at that position. You know, they're still trying to figure out who it is. You know, Nick Saban was here saying that, you know, he's, he's still got to let this thing play out over the next month before he got he, he goes and finally decides who he's going to be with. Texas doesn't have that problem. You know, they've got Quinn Ewers On the receiver's ser- side they've got Xavier Worthy uh, you know who is was of course a preseason uh, Big 12 guy but he's viewed as a first round draft pick on the other side they got a Georgia transfer by the name of A.D. Mitchell yeah. you know and A.D. when he was healthy was very good very effective was kind of a touchdown machine for Georgia in his limited reps but he's going to be a starter there uh, they've got Jatavian Sanders you know as a tight end who's viewed as the number two tight end in the country he's viewed as another high draft pick so you look at those skilled positions and then they had a guy by the name of Isaiah Nayer who got injured last season, but what, is what was one of the top receivers in the transfer market. Uh, but he got hurt right before the season, got an ACL. He's back but as well. So I'm talking about from a firepower standpoint, they're going to have a lot. Now, the key and the hard part for them is from a running back perspective, going to be hard to replace a B. John Robinson right. you know that guy gets drafted in the first round by the Atlanta Falcons for a reason right uh, and then their backup running back by the name of Roshan Johnson he got drafted in the fourth round <laughs> you know so you know you're replacing two guys and that's yeah. how good that backfield was when you you know your backup gets drafted in the fourth round so they've got some guys that are trying to work in there but they feel like they've got the quarterback they feel like they're really good at the receiver they feel like they're really good up front and they feel like when they go into T- Tuscaloosa that they're actually going to be, they're going to be, they feel like it'll be more than competitive, you know, yeah. and, and I don't think Sark's going to be worried about that. He's not going to be afraid about that. He's, he's going to have those guys know this is what the environment is, this is what to expect. Uh, but I think for Texas fans, going back to what you're saying, they feel really good about this. And by the way, Texas is favored to win 11 out of 12 games this year. So the yeah. fan base is really, really good. The only game they're not favored to win is Alabama. Uh, but there's, they, of course, they
2: have optimism there. So, yeah. how many touchdowns, touchdowns do they win by? <laughs> 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 you just left yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't
1: know. You know, I, I just play fantasy. That's easier. Yeah,
0: well, you hit on something important there, the quarterback room. For Texas of strength. Alabama, I don't want to call it a weakness, even though I kind of think it is. But it's more of a question. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a credit to Steve Sarkeesian, obviously. Because yeah. when he was at Bama, that was the strongest part of Alabama's roster, too. Now that's at Texas. So, Will this be a measuring stick game, you think, for Texas? I mean, because, I, you know, they're saying all the right things. They're, they're mm-hmm. trying to win the Big 12 the final year they're there. But mm. what will that say, even if they don't win? I know Texas fans are optimistic they can beat Alabama. But let's say they, they take them to the wire in Tuscaloosa. That's how that's Alabama's only lost two home games in the last ten years. Mm. So it's very unlikely yeah. anybody goes down there and wins a game. Sure. But not getting run out of the building like you did at Arkansas, getting ready for SEC play. I, I have to imagine – the fan base is viewing this as as a measuring stick to see how far Sark has taken this program, and and how far, uh, or what to expect when they do make that jump to the SEC.
1: Yeah, I think you you, you make a, a good point. So what's interesting about Texas versus the SEC over the last several years? Texas actually has been okay and been pretty competitive in those games. They played a bowl game against Missouri. I want to say that was mm-hmm. in 2017, and Texas uh, won that one. They played against Georgia, yep. of course, in the Sugar Bowl, uh, and Texas ended up winning that one, and that was because I guess Georgia decided they didn't want to be there because they didn't <laughs> well, get into the yeah, I
0: wanted to... Give you a heads up, real quick. In the SEC, when we lose a bowl game, uh-huh. we didn't want to be there. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, so we remember heard that line. Remember, remember? that line. Yes. Yeah.
1: You know, there was a Texas plays against uh, L- uh, LSU at home. Uh, they end up losing by a touchdown, and what a, a great game! And what yeah. no one knew at the time was going to be one of the greatest football teams in, in, in college football history. That 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 15 and 0 team. But Texas, that was a competitive game that they they should have won. Um, like you said, they get their butt stomped against Arkansas, and that happened. Uh, then they're competitive against Alabama. So there's this belief. You must the Texas fan base that they're not that far off. You know they're they're not this team that's going to go in there and say you know they're going to get their butts beat because they've been very competitive and they've won some of those some of these games. Um, so uh, come, tell me your question again because I started going off a little bit of well, a tangent in my head.
0: How the fan base is viewing that Alabama matchup as a yeah. measuring stick? Yes. Yeah, so so Texas as, when it comes to yeah
1: so that was so, so that's the measuring stick. Um, I think it'll be a little bit of a measuring stick for sure, and it's going to be a big game, and was going to be you know watching it, and so sure I think they going into the day they understand that, what that that looks like. I think the disappointment will be if they get run out the building. Like, yeah. if there's this buildup of all this and they just get run out the building, then all of a sudden Texas fans are going to say to themselves, okay, I don't know what the heck happened. You know, that's a, that's a Santa Claus isn't real thing. But <laughs> if but if there's, if they're competitive for four quarters and, you know, if by some chance they lose at that, you know, my like three points or seven points or right. something like that, I think Texas fans will be like say to themselves, okay, they're okay. Now. No Texas fan wants to me to talk about them losing the game because optimistically they don't feel like they're going to win. But realistically, I think they'll take that as a, you know, a, a small, quote-unquote, victory. Um, but I'm telling you, I am telling you, the Texas fan base feels like they have a shot. Like they, they go into that thing knowing, like, ooh, it's going to be tough. But if a couple of things go their way, yeah. they, feel, they feel like it can happen.
2: If, if they, they do, do, could you imagine? Oh I mean, I, I would imagine Texas thinks they're going to win the first three SEC championships <laughs> coming in. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. I'm, I, they'll,
1: they'll, that reality will kick in I saw, I saw
2: Oklahoma, uh, not to bring those guys up, but I, I saw them bring up that stat. What is it, 50 championships in the last 100 years, conference championships. So I just – I don't know. It's, it is going to be a little bit different over here. But I, I do want to ask you because every time – you come on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about 98%, 98% Texas A&M chiming in, <laughs> telling them these boys ain't ready. Right. When, you, when you got to see the, the schedule come out, obviously we don't know exactly when this is going to be played. How excited were you to see that Texas-Texas A&M match Kicking off again. Well, Texas A and M should know
1: what not being ready looks like. So if they <laughs> if they if, if they
2: go and tell you that someone's
1: not ready, then A and M would know. I mean, that was five and seven last season, so yep. they should know what not being ready looks like. I would I would listen to uh, you know everything that they're saying, but um, you know, you asked about the rivalry, right? It, yeah. it's, it's, it's a rivalry that needed to be you know restored. You know the, that the pettiness between both of the schools. Um, was was the, probably to the detriment of college football. Yeah. You know that you, those teams need to play each other. Say, you can't imagine just not having Alabama versus Auburn. Or, you right. know to a certain degree, yeah. if you look at like Florida and, and not you know Florida State. Like just imagine that saying, "Well, you know, you're in a different conference, so we're not going to play each other." Like yeah. no, you you make those rivalry games happen no matter what. So you know it's funny like each program acted like they didn't need each other going forward. Like, Texas A&M said, oh, we got the SEC. We don't need you. And Texas was like, well, you guys left, so you know what? Screw you. We don't need you either. But at the end of the day, they both needed each yeah. other. Yeah. Like, they could, they'd lie to each other because here's the thing. Now that it's official – and especially when Texas started going to NCC, now the trash talk between them is, has heated up. Now everyone, I, I got AM fans all in my mentions, and I know I'll be—they'll be back today. They got mad at me for tweeting out something about their guys wearing sunglasses, you know, indoors, and then you know they just—they just—it was barrage, barrage. So that, it's a rivalry that needs to happen. It's cool that it happened. Obviously, back at, you know, let them go to Texas A&M because God forbid if the first game had been in Austin, they would have cried and complained about that. Right? (laughs) Right, the same way they cried to complain because they didn't want Texas to come to the SEC. So they 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 can say they're going to say everything, but this is this is rivalry football, you know, and this is what that's about. That's that's that uh, that's that heated thing that goes back and forth. And Texas, of course, uh, has Oklahoma, you know, as as a rival, and that's a big one, you know, for them, and that's a historic one as well. But as you know, the in-state rivalry games, there is nothing like them.
0: Yeah, Yeah, uh, that's I'm glad he went there because that's exactly what I wanted to ask you. I have to assume Oklahoma is the chief rival because they don't play in them anymore, but they soon will. How quickly do you think A and M could be the biggest rival for Texas, or, or do you think it will just always remain Oklahoma?
1: Well, I think it it will depend on you know what they do if they stay, if they stay with the eight game schedule, you know after twenty twenty four, and then it just rotates. Then no, it's not going to be a rival because
0: I don't you, think they will though. From yeah. what I'm hearing,
1: well, if they don't, then that'll be great, right? Yeah. Because if they go to the nine, if you, that's what you're hearing, you're hearing nine games. If mm-hmm. they go to the nine, then all of a sudden, you know, you know that. <sighs> It's going to be close, you know. It's going to be close because when I talk to different people in the fan base, you know, it's it, there is, there's there's more A&M fans that you'll see inside the state of Texas than you will necessarily see Oklahoma fans. So, yeah. you know, I can see Aggie stuff all throughout and different neighborhoods and things to that effect. So I think the both of them will be big. But if this thing this game is starting to be played on Thanksgiving Day, kind of like it used to be back in the day, you know, the, the thing is, like pe- – Texas, Texas, A&M. I mean, Texas fans have been talking about that, that Justin Tucker victory for years, you yeah. know, like more so than anything else. And so that's going to be, that's going to be interesting. And, it, and, you know, the other thing that's going to make this rivalry really interesting is that a couple of things, from a recruiting battle staying with, like, over the last few years, if you lost a battle and a kid went to Texas, well, for if you were at Texas A&M, it never really mattered because you didn't play against them. Yeah. And vice versa. If you lost a kid to A&M, it didn't matter because you didn't play against them. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to matter because you're going to be able to see that kid. So that hurts you. That, that helps and hurts as far as recruiting is concerned. But then it puts the pressure. And I feel like the pressure ends up, you know, especially from a recruiting standpoint and a rivalry standpoint, the pressure gets on a guy like Jimbo Fisher. Because yeah. God forbid Texas comes in this conference next season and has more success than Texas A and M, like that. All of a sudden, now all of a sudden it's it's that, the, that make that rivalry thing heats up a, a, a lot because you can't have that. You can't have Sark come in and they win ten games and A and M's at you know at seven or eight or whatever that case may be. So it does ra- it's going to ratchet up pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: All right. Last thing for you, Anwar. Well, yeah. I really appreciate your time. Of course. So much buzz about Arch Manning, hmm. and I realize in Austin they don't if he's the starting quarterback we had someone else on they said well disaster has struck if he so I'm not asking that but a lot of people we hear from they say well if his name was uh Arch Smith he you know he wouldn't have been the number one overall pick pick or or prospects yeah sure so what's the early read on him I know Mm -hmm. it's early but do you think uh you know what's the buzz is he living up to the hype so to speak at least early on and, and can he be the future of the program
1: can he be the future of the program? Potentially, yes. You know, I guess that was kind of a double answer, right? But um, he's not there yet. Okay, so he's a third string guy under you know Malik Murphy, who mm-hmm. Malik Murphy had a really good spring. And Arch, you know, he entered in with a lot of high expectations, not to say that he won't be there, but right now he's still a guy who's learning, a a guy that, you know, played at a smaller school in in Louisiana who's playing on major college football uh, and is going to have to learn. And while he may have the last name and he has the pedigree and all those kind of things and he has all the resources, the best resources in the world to improve, I think you look at that and you say to yourself, yeah, he can do that, but right now, you know, if something happens right now, Malik Murphy, he comes in, and he's he's the backup quarterback for now. Arch, basically what he has to do is kind of learn and grow and improve and be ready to battle for the position in 2024. The plan is for Quinn Ewers to have a good season. That's what everyone hopes for. So when I say everyone, I mean the, the, the staff. Right. And then he goes pro. Yeah. And then those two kind of battle it out next year. But the things that I, I hear is that, no one's willing to see say that this is Archie's job in 2024. It's just a matter of time. They tell me he's going to have to earn it because they they're really high on Malik Murphy. And by the way, if do yourself a favor and just research, I don't know if you guys saw that viral picture of their quarterback room, but just go ahead and look up Malik Murphy. He's got two A's in his first name, and look at his physique and look how to, I mean he's like six seven. He looks to be about two forty ish or something <laughs> like that. He's he they did a they did a picture of all the quarterbacks together at this spring, just about sometime in actually I said spring in June. I mean, he looks like he's trying out for a fast and furious move. Like, whatever you think <laughs> Jalen Monroe looks like, he's the guy that picks up Jalen and throws him off the balcony, right? So, but he's also a good quarterback, and he came with a high pedigree, highly recruited out of California. You know, Steve Sarkeesian is a California-ish kind of guy, so you know, he's able to pluck that guy out there. So there will be a battle that will happen in 2024. So for me, lower the expectations on Arch and then see what he does next season.
0: All right, before you go, Anwar, can you tell the audience where can they find you?
1: Oh, it's real simple. It's a, uh, you know you can find me on Twitter. It's real simple, Anwar Richardson. It's A-N-W-A-R, Richardson. Go ahead and send me all your hate tweets. <laughs> and, of course, over here for OrangeBuds.com. Anwar Richardson. Don't make me block you. <laughs> no, nah, I just mute them and then just let them keep talking to themselves. It's kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt.
0: Thank, thank you, thank you again. so much. All right, so some great stuff from Anwar. Really appreciate him joining the show. Now we got, for the first time, Eddie Rodatovich from Sooner's Scoop. A lot of Oklahoma people reached out to us and said, hey, Eddie's going to be at SEC Media Days. This needs to be your Oklahoma guy. And Eddie delivered some good stuff here. Talking to Oklahoma, coming to the SEC. Expectations year two for Brent Venables. And we just had to ask him. We had to. For all them Vols out there, what's with all this Josh Heupel to Oklahoma, could that ever happen? I mean, according to Eddie, no shot in hell that ever happens because the, the relationship is the same thing I've been telling Tennessee fans. The relationship between Josh Heupel and Oklahoma is, I mean, it's not existent. So, in Eddie's own words, if Oklahoma job opened up, Josh Heupel would take himself out of consideration. He, do, he wants no part. I'm going back to Norman. At least that's the way Eddie tells it, as well as uh, you know his thoughts on joining the SEC. Let's kick it over to Eddie Redatovich from Sooner Scoop. Really fun interview. We appreciate you, Eddie. One, Absolutely. One more time. I'm sorry. Say your name. We're, we're a little slower in the South. <laughs> Welcome to the SEC. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Eddie Redatovich. Redatovich. Redatovich from Sooner Scoop on yes, three. Yes, sir. Really appreciate you. Yeah. And I was joking. All, I mean, it's not a joke. It's true. Sooner fans said, hey. We need some Oklahoma coverage on the show. <laughs> Get Eddie on the show. so I'll we, try. We, we appreciate you yeah, stopping by, man. Absolutely. How's the SEC treating you so far? Pretty
3: good. Uh, it, it still feels weird. I mean, I, I think that it really doesn't feel like it's real mm-hmm. just because there is still a, another season to be played in the Big 12. But, uh, you know, I, I think that you talk to any Oklahoma fan, they feel like the passion, the fervor for college football is at an all-time high, obviously, in Oklahoma, and it kind of matches up with the – Fan bases of the SEC. So there's a lot yeah. of excitement, uh, and obviously there's a lot of questions for Oklahoma as they go into the second year of Brent Venables.
2: Well, they did unveil, you know, 2024 people that were going to yeah. be playing. I mean, Absolutely. what was a common reaction from
3: Oklahoma fans? Because
2: I, I thought brutal
3: at yeah. first. You no, know? I, they,
2: they didn't go easy on you.
3: Yeah, no, they, I, I think there was like a, wow, this is cool. Alabama's <laughs> coming to, Oklahoma, uh, to Norman. Oh God! They're going to LSU, and they're going to (laughs) Oxford, and they're going to Auburn. It uh, it, it's obviously a tough schedule, and I think that you know entering what is a pivotal year for Brent Venables in year number two, that they got to be able to build some type of momentum going into the season, uh, going into twenty twenty four, and everything that's going to come with the SEC because it is a step up. Uh, I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that has come across to me here is just the fact that you start talking about you know obviously in the West, for instance. Alabama and LSU are obviously very, very good and then you have three through seven that are all really, really good football yeah. teams. And yeah. there is, you know, I hate to just throw shots at people, but there is no Kansas, even though they took a step in Lance Leopold's first year. So it's uh it's gonna be kind of exciting, but I think there's a lot of people that are, you know, cautiously uh optimistic about how this whole thing's gonna go. Yeah. yeah. Now be honest
0: here. In this conference, everyone's pissed off at Georgia right now. Sure. Because they don't have to play that Oklahoma game. Sure, and it made the schedule weak as hell. It was yeah. already kind of weak, but now yeah. it's weak as hell. Yeah, Oklahoma people, they they're probably thankful as they can. They don't have to play that damn juggernaut. In there Athens, is right. There
3: is definitely a sigh of relief. Although it would have been really really cool right, to right. see those two teams on the uh, on the field and just you know with the game that they last played out in the rose bowl that was awesome
0: yeah uh wasn't that
3: the first meeting of the two yeah yeah it's the first time they had ever played which is absolutely insane yeah uh but yeah i mean I, I think that for oklahoma and how big this year is for them getting georgia off the schedule and even replacing them with an smu which should be better it, it'll be a good non-conference game for them uh it, it worked out in Oklahoma's favor that they don't have to play that game this year. No doubt about it. Yeah. Well,
2: when you guys do come over, are you bringing Venables with you? Yeah, I, I,
0: I, I think I, I think that would be SCC. the plan. We're, we're going to talk hot seat. Yeah, every sure. year. We're bringing sure. the hot seat for whoever sure. comes over here. Well, you you talked to enough Oklahoma
3: fans around uh, Oklahoma City or you know down in Norman and you know there it was a year that people just weren't used to going yeah. six and seven the way that they lost games in the fourth quarter uh you know the the five of the seven losses were one score games for yeah. the last five games they lost in the last possession of the game so that i think that was the and it was small things too it was a penalty or as a, a, a game mismanagement or you know not being able to move the ball in the fourth quarter or get off the field in the fourth quarter without giving up a touchdown yeah. i think that was the biggest thing and that was one of the things that i think a lot of people when brent took over was all the small things are going to be taken care of. Well, they weren't in year one. Right. And I think that pissed a lot of people off. And, you know, they obviously are going to have to go through a little bit of a, a, a turnover from Lincoln to Brent. And there were some depth issues that Oklahoma had. But they've kind of started to, I think, answer those questions. Now it's about going out there and actually doing it 12 Saturdays of fall. Well, yeah. aside from
0: Oklahoma fans, I'll tell you who's most rooting for Brent Venables and company, and that's, Tennessee fans we're 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 Tennessee homers <laughs> okay we were supposed to be objective but sure. we tell the truth we're, sure we we're, were Tennessee guys can you shed shed some light for our Tennessee fans on on the relationship Josh Heupel and Oklahoma because I know it's icy yeah and he which is sad right but I mean would he, would he be a candidate and it, it sounds like he wouldn't be but you would know a lot better, I, than I, he,
3: I think Josh would take himself out of being a candidate Just because I I think that even, you know, in everything that's going into uh, tomorrow when Josh is here, Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to answer any Oklahoma questions. I know that he's been kind of outspoken on not talking about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the way that that ended in 2014, it was awkward. And, I mean, you know, Bob Stoops to this day will say that he didn't fire him. He got fired. He got fired because the offense had kind of stalled in 13 and stalled in 14. And, you know, it was rough to watch, and especially for somebody that grew up in Oklahoma that, in ninety nine, two thousand, like yeah. Josh Heupel was a god over there, and he still is to a lot of people. But because of the way that that went down and the the bridge that was burned, and it seems like it's never going to be rebuilt, it's kind of sad. Uh, you would hope that at some point and they brought back the two thousand team uh, not too long ago to celebrate the national championship, and he wasn't a part of it. And uh, you know, I I think that that is kind of sad, just in the fact that he was such a big player, and that obviously, and uh, it's just uh, it, it's been awkward the way that that whole thing is. Uh, Kind of boiled down, but I think at the same time, and I'd I'd love to hear what Josh would say to this. And hopefully, he'll talk about it tomorrow. It's like he needed that. I think he needed to get out of there and kind of reinvent himself, look in the mirror, do some things differently. And it's obviously turned out really well for him. I know that Mm -hmm. you know. I I would imagine that you guys are pretty happy with what he's done in Knoxville. (laughs) Uh, It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. And you know, Joey Hosley, uh, the offense coordinator out there.
0: Isn't he the offensive coordinator? Did he just get promoted he, he, or not, quarterback's coach? Yeah, he is now. He was quarterback's okay. coach.
3: Now he's OC. Awesome. Like, I was in school with Joe at the same time, uh, had fo- friends on the football team, and he, I, I couldn't be more happy for the success that a bunch of those guys have had with that kind of uh, that umbrella that Josh had and Norman and
0: kind of took it with him. Well, I can teach you a new, new term real quick. Battered Vol syndrome. <laughs> and that is, we, we, we're always looking for the, the, the dark clouds are coming. Sure, and sure. That, that's where that comes from. So. Sure. That, yep.
3: Oklahoma fans aren't used to that. And I think that that's what they were so, like, I think, petrified of a year ago is, you know, I, the one thing that everybody and probably Oklahoma fans are most familiar with is are they becoming the next Nebraska? Yeah. Right. Are they going to make this conference change? And then are they going to end up how Nebraska's ended up in the Big Ten? And, you know, I, I guess we'll see. Uh, yeah. They have a lot of more probably pieces in place than Nebraska had, though.
2: One of the games that me and Mike are really looking forward to is Texas-Oklahoma. This is a rivalry we did not really appreciate sure. until late. Sure. But I've we've talked to a lot of Texas guys. We've yeah. talked to a lot of Texas A&M guys. Yeah. Uh Billy says, uh, and I don't want to quote him here, but I'm going to quote him, that that you think Alabama's wild. Yeah. You wait till you see the toxic fans coming yeah. from Texas. So can you tell our listeners why we're not going to like the Texas fans? <laughs>
3: there, there's a sense of arrogance that's always been a part of the Texas football program, but you kind of appreciate that. I, yeah. I think Billy would probably call them Sips. Uh, that's, that's probably the best way to say it. I, it's a love-hate relationship i got a bunch of buddies that went to texas so uh the ou texas experience down at the state fair at the cotton bowl second first weekend of october though is it's truly one of the if you love college football yeah. if you love the pageantry of it go get down there the game it, it's kind of become an 11 a.m staple now you got to get down there at seven thirty in the morning have a wax cup beer and uh, watch the pageantry that is. Everybody comes, they take the buses through so the d- middle of the fair. It's unbelievable. Do you unbelievable. do the fair?
2: I, I, I'm trying to, so is the fair all week? or? Yeah, they. The,
3: the fair runs for like two and a half weeks, three weeks, okay, I think, so in, yeah, in, that's in that's Dallas. A... And, uh, yeah, you start seeing it d- that time of the year, end of September, beginning of October, you start seeing buddies that live in Dallas taking their kids and stuff out yeah. there and grabbing all those coupons that you can get <laughs> in anticipation of OU Texas. So it's uh, it's truly, there's nothing like it. Right. I hope it you know, stays at the Cotton Bowl forever at the State Fair Park, even though it's not the nicest stadium in the entire world. Yeah, it there truly is no maybe Army Navy something like that. that yeah, from a neutral standpoint, if you're just a college football fan, you've got to go. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, and we've we've all had our list come out when this sure. expansion's coming. Sure. is there any
3: Oklahoma games you're really looking forward to? I've never been to the Grove, yeah. so I think that that's probably number one, just to see it. Yeah. Won't get to participate a whole lot in it, but because uh, we'll be covering the games. But uh, the Grove is up there uh, between the hedges would be really cool, just to go. I think the swamp will be cool. Yeah. And for that matter, I think like even a place like Vanderbilt. I mean, it, it, not yeah. maybe necessarily the stadium, but getting to new places, going yep. to Nashville, being able to do that kind of stuff. It's just, uh, it's different than yeah. anything that we've been a part of over the last 10 years since I've been covered in Oklahoma. So, uh, you know, I, I found myself having a little bit of a soft spot for Morgantown. Yeah, It's just unique. It's way out there. It's kind of off the beaten big 12 tracker, if you will, but, uh, I think everybody's pretty excited for that's the cool. SEC. Well, when the SEC adds them and I would say I would say Knoxville, but I've been there. <laughs> yeah. so I, I don't want to. I don't do want to make anybody too mad. <laughs> so how bad do you hate? High <laughs> <balls>? <laughs> I, and that's the thing. Is like I grew up. I was in the eighth grade when they won the national championship. Would have died for that team. Yeah. You know that was yeah. like that was the the peak <laughs> of college football fandom for me. Uh, watching those guys and how downtrodden the program was in the mid '90s growing up. Uh, my season. My parents were season ticket holders, went to all the games, and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of crazy. And I think Oklahoma fans are a little spoiled as well. Yeah. I mean, they, it is what it is, especially 17, 18, 19 offensively.
0: From our vantage point, it seemed like the reaction, though, from Oklahoma fans was a, was a little mixed. Yeah. I think because they dominated the Big 12. Sure. The path to the playoff is sure. a lot clearer in that conference. Yeah. Have they mostly come around to joining the sec Where, where's that at i, th- I think so
3: I, I i think that the majority of the fan base is ready to make the move i think they're excited about making the move but you're gonna have people that want to stay in the big 12 and yeah. you know you can win it every year and they, i think it's more of a comfort thing you know mm-hmm. what you're getting yeah. and uh you know that's kind of like what we were talking about earlier as far as you got to know everything about kentucky you got to know everything about you know whoever is the down team not to say kentucky is by any means but you don't have that Kansas. You don't have that mm-hmm. kind of breather that you maybe get with an Iowa State. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of the heightened alert type situation for all Oklahoma fans. And, uh, you know, they're going to just have to get used to it because there's no turning yeah. back now.
2: When, when you started hearing the rumors, because when I started hearing the rumors Texas and Oklahoma maybe joined the SEC, Yeah, I said, there's no way in hell. Yeah. There's, there's no way in hell that's going to happen. Do you, do you remember some of those early conversations and it just kind of, kind of spiraling into, into this, this next chapter? Sure.
3: I, well, I think it, it kind of went from a stage of, I don't want to hear about it. The big the conference expansion stuff, it kind of reached a height where it was like, God, not this again. It's, yeah. it's, it's June. There's nothing to talk about. Obviously, we're going to have to talk about it. But then, uh, you know, you started hearing some stuff, and it kind of built a little bit of excitement. It was like, I don't want to get my hopes up. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously, with the Brent and, uh yep. story that came out, it's like it, it was also one of those like scrolling through Twitter, like, <laughs> "Is this real?" And then you start checking, and it's like, "Yeah, this is this, looking for this looks very, account. very real." Yeah. <laughs> so it was. Um, it, it almost seems like it's been five years ago now, yeah. even though it's only been a couple years. And I think that you know the the plan that's in place for Oklahoma and Brent's vision of what he wants the program to be. Uh, they just, they had to build out of what that was what Lincoln left, and not to say that he left a terrible program by any means, but depth wise they didn't have what you need defensively. And you know, I think through the transfer portal this year they've been able to go get some guys that could come in and contribute yeah. from day
0: one. Yeah. Well, I'm just looking forward to all this newness, like you're talking yeah. about. But we'll be getting Oklahoma and Arkansas, yeah. Mizzou again, yeah. LSU. I mean, I I think those rivalries will will form sure. fairly quickly. Sure. And we're we're optimistic, guys. The way we've been selling this new SEC, I think every player in the transfer portal and the elite prospects, hell, they already all want to come to the SEC. Sure. With Texas and Oklahoma coming, I mean, I don't think those schools will ever lose a recruiting battle to anyone in the Pac-12, Big yeah. Ten, none of that. So I, I think it, you know, it, it it's rising water will rise all, elevates all the programs, sure. and I, I think they will with the Sooners as well. Sure, and I yeah,
3: and I I think that like even with. Coming uh, coming off the sixth and seventh season a year ago, for Oklahoma to finish up with a top five recruiting class and still go out and be able to get some guys in the transfer portal, I think kind of proves that uh, you know people do obviously want to go play in the SEC. It's 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 really strange, even still now, talking to high school kids that are going in uh, to their senior seasons and they're committing to Oklahoma and they're going to play in the SEC. That's yeah. all they'll know is the SEC. They won't know anything about the Big Twelve. So. Uh, Yeah, I I, I think it's going to inflate everything. Obviously, uh, you know, wins and losses are going to be all that matters at the end of the day for Brent and, you know, kind of that regime and how everything's going down. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think that uh, just being around stuff like this even – uh, for the media side of things it's like okay yeah. this is this is this is getting pretty real well Weird. and
2: they announced media going to be down there in Dallas which ironically is where <laughs> the Big 12's been meeting sure. just down the street there at at the Omni Hotel so i would imagine a huge blowout next year yeah. for the SEC getting you guys back yeah. in the league I, I we're pumped up to we're uh, I don't want to cut it short here, Mike, but uh, where can we follow you if you're looking for Oklahoma news?
3: uh, Soonerscoop.com on three. Uh, We just made the move over there a couple of months ago, and it's been unbelievable to kind of be with uh, like-minded people that all we do is cover college football. And, uh, you know, obviously a little college basketball here and there, Porter Moser and uh, baseball and softball, obviously. But, uh, you know, I'm excited about those other sports getting to the SEC. And, you know, obviously football is going to be anything that – we want to talk about and everything that everybody wants to talk about in Norman, but uh, those, those smaller sports, the minor sports are going to be fun too. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. absolutely. Anytime guys. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, Eddie, just want to say thanks again for joining this show, bringing some sooner knowledge. We were going to have to bring him on as the season gets here. And uh, we're going to be monitoring Texas and Oklahoma all season long before they join the SEC. Cannot wait for that. To learn some, I've got very little knowledge on Texas and Oklahoma. I tell it like it is. But I'm going to start learning this fall, gearing up for them to join the SEC. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And, hey, we ain't done yet. One more. Joe Cook from Inside Texas. Really good stuff from Joe. I had never met Joe. He came over our table and said, hey, I'm Joe Cook, Inside Texas. You ever need a Texas insider? Hit me up. And I said, how about right now? So he sat down. We did this interview, spur of the moment, moments after meeting him. Really great stuff. The expectations. I mean, the way he tells it, could be a playoff team if they could beat Alabama. I think that's fair. Uh, We talked some Arch Manning and lots of other things with Joe Cook from Inside Texas. Really appreciate getting to meet Joe and having him on the show. He'll be back to uh, let's kick it over to we're, it. We're not your normal SEC show. I'm sure you've already figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, pleased to be joined by Joe Cook inside Texas. Just met you, and we're welcoming you to the SEC. I know it's a, it's a year early, mm-hmm. but hey, there's the Alabama game we're all excited about, so how, how's the SEC treating you so far? It's been great. Uh, I really look forward
4: to this trip and uh, knew that there'd be a lot of intrigue. I know it's a big year for the league, but uh, I think this is, you know, having Texas presence here and having Texas at even uh, spring meetings kind of is a first sign for a lot of people that this is real. This is less than 365 days away, and yeah. uh, especially that Alabama game. That will be a real first, first real sign uh, of Texas traveling into SEC territory and starting to become a real member of the league.
2: You know, one of the things we talked about is hopefully we don't lose this season because everybody's talking about next year. And what the playoffs are going to look like? Texas and Oklahoma coming in. What is what is Texas? I mean, what is that mentality right now? Like, hey, we got one more, and then we're going over. Or is it? Are we not even focused? We're just dialed in to the Big Twelve play. So, if you remember that June day where
4: they released the opponents for 2024, <laughs> uh-huh. all the Texas players and Steve Sarkeesian tweeted out the 2023 schedule. Yeah, and they showing that they're trying to keep their focus on the 2023 schedule and. Steve sarkisian has been speaking in April, right. in May, even the past couple weeks at Big Twelve media days and other events. To where, you know, that's that's exciting. It's fun that we're going to be there. But Texas is in the Big Twelve in 2023, and their goal is to leave the Big Twelve as champions, like they entered as champions in '96. Yeah. It's to leave as champions, like they left the Southwest Conference as, as champions in '95. Um, they're they're building the program, I think, in a way that tries to set them up well for a future in the sec but they're trying to win the big 12 before right. because that's the league they're members of right now
0: how big is that week two game though at alabama i mean they should have beat alabama last year in, in my opinion and we thought yeah texas was going to get their ass kicked i'll yeah. just tell you we thought with mm-hmm. there no Vegas shot too. no shot against alabama and they, and like i said they should have beat them How big of a measuring stick or is it, do you think, for Steve Sarkeesian and his program week two going? Because it is at Alabama. I mean, Mm -hmm. they'll be a a huge underdog again, but that doesn't mean there's a lot of doubt on Alabama, too. So, how much of a measuring stick is that game, do you think?
4: It it definitely is one. It's the strongest, uh, it's easily the strongest team on their schedule um, because their non conference this year is Rice and then Wyoming, and those are two teams that are at various stages of of the uh, group of five. Um, the next best team on their schedule may be Oklahoma or it could be Kansas State. So they're gonna know right away whether uh, all their preparations and all their uh, you know expectations are going to be, how attainable I guess they're going to be. Yeah. Um, luckily for Texas last year, uh, that game didn't count towards conference play. Luckily for them this year, it didn't count towards conference play, so if they can't leave Bryant Denny with the win, yeah, they'll know, and they would prefer to leave with the win, obviously. But um, it, it is a good way to, to measure up how they, they feel they're going to they're gonna be able to operate in the SEC because it's going to include a lot of linemen that Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood recruited. Um, very different than the way Tom Herman recruited linemen, gets a lot more bigger-bodied guys. It's mm-hmm. has got to test a, a defensive front that returns a lot of players uh, but doesn't have you know outstanding edge rushers. Um, and it's going to be a big test for Quinn Ewers because he doesn't have the crutch of B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson to lean on like he did last year. He's going to have to do his... Fair share a little bit more than he did last year, leading the offense. So, uh, and there's no better secondary to test that out against in Alabama uh, this upcoming year. So, it should be a real, real big way to see if they're they're ready. But at the same time, it's not going to be a you know be all end all for what their 2023 looks yeah. like.
2: Hey, we got a lot of Aggie followers. Mm-hmm. How bad do you want to kick their ass? <laughs> <laughs> huh? there, are, there
4: are so many people who are glad that's game that game is back because the best way I can think about describing it is, let's say you live in Mobile, yeah. and, okay, it's Thanksgiving, you got the turkey out, you cook, you go to bed, you wake up, and you're watching the Iron Bowl. Yeah. You can set your calendar to it every single year, and for the past 10 years, you haven't been able to do that. I know Texas A&M's tried to replicate that with LSU, and right. there's been some pretty impressive games, but that 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 is one-sided. Yeah. LSU, from my perspective, doesn't view Texas A&M the same way that Texas a and views LSU, and for as many people who want to say, "Oh, we don't care. Oh, let them go. I'll let them be. We're better." No, the, the this game is so. It's, it's perfect that it's back. It needed yeah. to happen. It needed to be a conference game. It didn't need to be a low-level bowl or anything like that. It needed to be a conference game. And I think if you ask a lot of Texas fans, they don't mind the fact that the first one's in College Station. They're just glad that it's that back. back yeah. they, they didn't clamor for anything. And, hey, Ross Bjork did, and he got his way, and good for him. Uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> They're already talking. They're already I talking. But it. there are so many people that are glad it's back. They don't care whether it's. I, I, they would prefer for it to be on Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, I think that's where it should be. And it's that level of rivalry for the people of, in, in Texas uh, just because it's been around so long. It's been, you know, neighbor versus neighbor, all those different yeah. qualifications that you haven't been able to have the bragging rights about in, in 10 years and they've played baseball they've played basketball they've played other sports but there's, there's only one yeah. place where it really matters and that's yeah. on the football field
0: well obviously that texas a&m game that's the one texas fans are, are looking forward to the most in conference but aside from that wh- who is that second team you think is it an arkansas is it Bama? is it maybe even georgia or tennessee who, who did the texas fans Are they most looking forward to playing in the SEC?
4: Obviously, Texas has a long history with Arkansas, Southwest Conference days, you know, game of the century with President Nixon there, all those different uh, matchups that they've had over the years. I think Frank Broyles and Darryl Royal retired on the same day. So there's history there. Uh, But I think there's just a lot of intrigue for Texas fans, not on one particular team. Uh, Of course, having Georgia in Austin in 2024 is going to be a really fun game and one that's going to bring, you know, I know Dog Nation travels, but Texas doesn't sell its tickets pretty easy to opposing fans. Uh, But I think there's just intrigue about being able to go to places like Oxford. Texas went in, I think, 2012 played and won a game there. Uh, they haven't been to Starkville since, I think, the late 90s. Uh, I don't think they've ever been to Knoxville, and they haven't been to Gainesville since World War II. So mm-hmm. there's so many different places that Texas either hasn't been in a long time or has never really been that that's what's got them interested. Arkansas is going to be a fun matchup. That's still going to be a rivalry. Uh, it, it, it was, is, continues to be. Uh, But I think just the idea of being able to go to so many new places and see, you know, why the SEC has a network, why there's that SEC podcast, all these different things, that's what has Texas fans really excited. And, uh, you know, the athletic department's pretty happy about a nice windfall that will be coming its way (laughs) down the road as well.
0: How how big is this year for Sark? And I realize you don't cover A&M, but also for Jimbo. Uh, like a year ago, if I would ask you who's more likely to win an SEC title first, Texas or a and M, I I think everybody would have said a and M. i A&M. I'm asking SEC people now, a lot of them are saying Texas because of the momentum, but that can flip quickly. If they don't win the Big 12, if they stub their toe, mm-hmm. if A&M has a big year, how big is this for Sarkeesian and company, with a season to come before going to the ESCC. It's a it's a
4: really big one. I mean, you look at both A&M, you look at Texas, they're at very crucial junctures in the direction of both their programs. Of course, Steve Sarkeesian's in, about to enter year three, had a very dismal year one, and year ones are always difficult, and improved in year two. Uh, Steve, or Jimbo Fisher had a five and seven season in his mm-hmm. fifth year. So these are very big... Uh, Junctures for both teams to prove that they're on the right trajectory. And Texas seems to be moving a little bit better in that trajectory now, record-wise at least, compared to A&M. And that's going to have effects in-state in recruiting because Texas obviously is a hotbed of talent, has great quarterback talent, great receiver talent, great cornerback talent. And so those are key positions in in this league and in in, in any league. So whoever is going to be able to show progress this year will have a leg up on being able to get some of those talents similar goes for Oklahoma they had a very disappointing year last year again year ones are tough when you're rebuilding or restarting a program in essence they go to Dallas and Fort Worth and even Houston a lot they recruit they recruit Austin which is a very interesting dynamic to think about uh it's a big year for them to show that Brent Venables has progress because if none of those three teams really do a whole lot uh, nothing impressive you know if, if none of those teams are truly competing for a conference title this year well that means bama can come in as they have in years past they've gotten guys like the brocker myers who yeah. i know one transferred out jalen milrow who could start at quarterback he's at alabama uh even looking at places like uh, you know georgia has started to come into texas and grab some top talent lewis Seen played Uh, for uh, a school in in Dallas after moving down from New England so it's a really big year because if none of those three teams show a lot of progress then teams like Alabama, teams like Georgia, teams like LSU especially in the Houston area can come in and start grabbing more guys and that's not to say of what programs like Texas Tech and Baylor and TCU can try to do to, to prove that even in the Big 12 that they're a place to go for talent within the state of Texas so it's massive because if uh, none of those teams are able to show a lot of momentum, then it's going to have its effect on the recruiting trail. I know Texas has done well. A and M obviously had its historic class a couple years ago, but now recruits want to see those results and see what comes to bear on the football field from those classes.
0: How big of a believer are you in Quinn Ewers? Because I didn't Sark just the other day said, "Hey, if all goes according to plan, he will be a first round pick." I don't know if he was saying right away, but obviously I got to ask you about Arch Manning because yeah. that's a, yeah. that's a big storyline. But if Arch Manning, let's say he starts a game, does that that probably means Texas did not live up to the expectations? Do you think that's fair, or what's your thoughts on that?
4: You know, if Arch Manning starts a game, probably means two quarterbacks got hurt. I think right now Arch is he's he's going to be contending for the backup quarterback position uh, this sprint, or this fall with Malik Murphy, who had a. Real impressive uh, uh, spring game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if Arch is starting games, that either means that his development curve was like a rocket ship or that Quinn Ewers and Malik Murphy got hurt. Um, as far as Quinn Ewers goes, I, it, I it's really easy to doubt him. I, I get it. You know, he skipped his senior year of high school, didn't do more than be on the scout team at Ohio State. Um, that's two years of real football. And, and that's, you know, you have to think about a little bit being on the scout team at ohio state but still it's only just a scout team they were concerned about justin fields and cj stroud uh when when he was there if if they even overlapped so he arrives at texas wins a quarterback battle um and he has you know he goes through a problem right away with this injury he suffered when dallas turner drove him to the turf in austin comes back and tears up oklahoma and probably thinks this is just like when i was throwing it around dfw (laughs) and, and competing for the state title gets a little bit in his own head Uh, mechanics suffer Uh, the team doesn't do as well and I think at a certain point Sarkeesian realizes okay again I got Bijan Robinson I got Roshan Johnson I'm going to use these guys and and Quinn maybe lost a little bit of confidence we did hear over at Inside Texas that uh, he had a really good uh, month of bowl preparation Um, he he had to do a lot because Bijan and Roshan weren't in that game passing game had a lot more pressure on it and he did well but he still played like a freshman uh, true freshman even, even though he had that year at Ohio State. So the expectations are high. And I think when you go back to uh, early in the winter, to seeing him shave the mullet and, and shave his beard and kind of look more presentable, you know, it's not like he's um, – it, 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 it doesn't mean that he's like, okay, new person. But it does show a little bit of like a, you know what, I'm, a, I'm here to take this seriously. I'm here for people to know – me because i throw the football not because i have a mullet and a weird right. looking beard yeah and i think he's taken that uh onto the football field um it's why steve sarkeesian named him a starter exiting spring ball didn't even leave really the potential of a quarterback competition there for yeah. the fall camp and uh by all accounts he's he's done everything he's needed to do so far uh but now the next step for him is to go win games and to be the quarterback that everybody from you know the ranking services to all the schools that uh, offered him believed him to be in high school
0: if texas beats alabama in tuscaloosa i know that's a big if but if they do it is it fair to set the expectation that they should make the college football playoff probably
4: if, if they can do, take down alabama in tuscaloosa it's hard for me to see a team on their schedule that can take them down right. uh, in a similar way because Aside from that trip to Alabama, Texas only leaves the state of Texas one other time this year, and that's to go play at Iowa State. They still have to go to Baylor, which is a team that's going to want to beat them. Still have to go to TCU, again, a team that's going to want to beat them, and they have to go to Houston. Those aren't the most, you know, rowdiest of environments, but they are going to be rowdy that day for when they're there, and there's still something to be said about their home field advantage but there's going they're not going to have to have this like major travel schedule uh they only play houston's the only new team in the big 12 that they play um and honestly i was surprised when he said this in may at a uh, alumni event in in houston steve sarkeesian said you know we play u of h this year wouldn't it be nice if we played in houston twice this year and I kind of did the mental math and realized, oh, the national championship game's in Houston this year. <laughs> and that's not something you really hear from from Sarkeesian often. Right. I think he, he understands that the expectations are to win a conference title this year um, and or to, at the very minimum, be in that game and competing in it. Uh, but to hear him just climb that top turnbuckle and go that far up, that was that was a shock to me. But I think that kind of – indicates where he thinks the team could go if everything fires on all cylinders
0: yeah hey i don't know if you can you can tell but we like to eat <laughs> we come down to austin for some sec football where where do we have to go all right barbecue wise the my favorite place a place called
4: terry blacks yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's it's one of the best uh, there's lines out the door but it's worth waiting for um, there's also La barbecue's good franklin's good uh, but it's it's a, it's a little bit of a tourist trap, and that's not to say that its food, is, uh, its barbecue is bad, but it's, it's I think you can find better stuff without having to wait all day. Tex-Mex, if you can get into Matt's El Rancho, that's the place to go. Uh, I grew up in Houston, yeah. big Tex-Mex town there, and I think Matt's <laughs> has it beat. Um, and, and there's a lot of different places. Um, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a growing food city. Um, if you're trying to look at the tailgate scene, The the three or the four main ones I know of are Schultz's Beer Garden, which has a bowling alley and is one of the oldest establishments in Texas, Uh, Posse East, Crown and Anchor, and then uh, Haymaker, uh, just on the other side of 35. So those are those would be my top tailgate places. Uh, Terry Blacks for barbecue, and then Matzel Rancho for (laughs) Tex-Mex.
0: Well, we're planning the first time that Texas and Oklahoma meet as SEC opponents. In uh, the the world, what is it? Texas State Fair. Mm-hmm. How do how should we plan to make the most of that first time mm-hmm. at that event?
2: Man,
4: so that's my favorite day of work every single mm-hmm. year. Like I I drive up to Dallas and I get there and I am just so excited to get there at 7:30 a.m. and it, hopefully they they keep it at an 11 a.m. kick. That's a game that. Uh, because a little bit of the surrounding area, because of the tradition, that needs to be during the daytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go there uh, if you're sitting in the stands. Uh, before you make your stop in the stands, you buy some state fair tickets and you get yourself a beer, get yourself a corn dog, yeah. and you just get ready for that game. And sounds great already. So keep going. When you go into the Cotton Bowl, they have updated it some in recent years. But every seat's the same. There may be about 100 luxury seats in the whole stadium, and nobody cares because they're there just for that game. And mm-hmm. it is, I, I think maybe SEC fans may be familiar with the, the, the cocktail party mm-hmm. and how they split it long ways. And it's in a pro stadium. I know it used to be in the Gator Bowl, but now it's in wherever M&T Bank, wherever yeah. uh, the Jaguars play now. Right. Um, it it is way different, and it is the most passionate. I think both fan ba- fo- both fan bases get on a given year, and they're the Texas runs out of the tunnel. They're surrounded by Oklahoma. They hear just a chorus of boos, and then they get to a certain point about the forty yard line where it's all cheers. Yeah. And you can be on your own end zone. And it could be dead quiet, and then you can drive, and you can be on the opposing the opponent's one yard line, and it's like you're playing at a at a road environment. Yeah. There, there's truly nothing like it. Um, and I remember one of the best stories I've I've heard about the Red River Shootout is that Bo Schinbeckler, Michigan head coach, after he retired, he started doing some work for ABC Sports, and they asked him, you know, what do you want to do? What are some of the assignments you want? You kind of get to call the shots, Bo. And he said, I want to go to Texas, Oklahoma. And I think he made a remark like, "I, I you know, he coached Michigan, Ohio State. Those are the 10-year war or whatever he had with Woody Hayes. And he says, there's nothing like this in all of college football. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It is truly about 47,000 per side, and it is, it is my favorite day of work every single
2: year. That's awesome.
0: Well, Joe, we appreciate you shedding some light on Texas. We're, we're kind of ignorant when it comes to Texas, but we promise we're going to study them up this year. It's great to welcome you to the SEC. Before you go, can you tell the audience where to find all your work?
4: Yeah, we're part of On Three. Head to InsideTexas.com, uh, where all our social channels are InsideTexas, No Spaces. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. I'm at JosephCook89. All right, all right great. thank you. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the show. The rest of the week, we're going to be recapping it just like SEC Media Day. So we're going to spend a couple teams per episode, and we're going to get you covered all week long. We've got so many interviews. And like I said, Cousin Shane's not sitting here recording, but he's in all these interviews. So he really is on the show this week. Just giving the Tennessee homer a little bit of a break before he gets back. We share some uh, maybe behind-the-scenes stories. I, I kind of wanted to get into that now, but I want to wait for Cousin Shane to, to really soak in all the goodness here from SEC Media Days. It was it was our best one yet. Really appreciate all the support as we grow this podcast, this YouTube. We're really trying to make this the go-to destination for all SEC fans And uh, I hope that's reflected in all this content we're throwing at you. But, hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this
2: beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.